Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You were saying that you had a really deep conversation with Tom from the Mezzingers about spirituality while you were mixing that. Were there any conversations which you which you had that informed this new record that kind of fed into it in a similar way? I'm trying to remember, man, I do remember that conversation with Tom. Tom rocks. You could just like get into shit with Tom. <laughs> uh no, I I not I I don't know. Uh let me it would I'll just kind of be on a song by song basis, but no, I wasn't having any spiritual conversations, I don't feel like. I felt like I was like going through a fucking bit of a existential crisis when I was writing a lot of these songs. Like it was more just trying to like adjust to my life because I felt like my life had changed uh drastically in a very short amount of time, and even if it didn't, I think people's perception of me changed really drastically in that short amount of time, and my perception of me wasn't any different, and it was a, it's like a really weird, dumb thing to even try to explain or try and figure out, and I think like I spent the course of a record trying to like figure out who I am. So no spiritual conversations, but a lot of like, I guess, self-reflection. What was the kind of biggest revelation you came to then as a result of that? you know, through that process and using the record in that manner or the record becoming that thing? May, may, I, I think, uh, sorry, that, that's a big question that I haven't really ever thought about because I don't really, I, I don't know. I, I think about that, like, and hopefully by the end of the record, I'll have, like, figure something out. Uh, I, I think just kind of like that it's okay, that it's okay to feel crazy and it's not like, uh, it's not uh, something that people are, it's not something you have to begrudge yourself for and also that uh you know it's it's important to have perspective and like understand that like you know in the grand scheme of things whatever is causing your anxiety that particular moment is probably not going to be something 
that is going to end your world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think that those are some some things that I came away with. I, th- I think I kind of came away from that and and also like a, a year off tour before the pandemic of just kind of like, I don't know, just kind of being able to adjust to it and not really kind of get into that zone where I am fearful that any fucking word that I say or anything that I think could like make somebody really really upset like that's all i i think i was just putting a lot of pressure on myself and i'm you know i i thought maybe by putting out a record where i kind of talk a little bit about just like not being a fucking like i don't know not just being a shit <laughs> like i just wanted to talk <laughs> be a little bit more about being a little shit on this record you know when you're saying you know saying something that could upset people are you meaning through your music or more just in any sense? I mean, maybe, maybe through my, yeah, through my music a little bit, although that's, that is usually a pretty safe space for uh, thoughts, uh, you know, um, to think things through in an interview. Yeah, maybe, but not really. I think more just like in a, in a personal conversation with somebody uh, who I'm meeting, who uh, I've never met before, but who already knows a lot of personal things about me because they listen to my music. And that's just kind of like a weird uh, imbalance, like right out the gate, if that makes sense. So just kind of like not trying to say something to somebody that's going to make them feel like they're stupid or I don't know. Look, man, it's a weird thing. I think that like, <laughs> it's just like, it's it's a difficult thing to explain unless you're going through it. But I was having a really hard time, I guess, like adjusting to the fact that anybody has any perception of me at all, you know? Yeah. And it's a very, it can be quite a filtered perception as well. Because I imagine what you're putting out into the world is probably still quite a small percentage of who you are, even if it's completely honest and true in that way. Yeah, I I think that, and I think that maybe I'm trying to just like, I I, I don't know, trying to pull it in in a way where it's like, okay, I want to be more honest about things so that it doesn't catch people. I don't fucking know, man. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I think it just kind of all like, yeah, I don't know that I really am putting forward that much of a filtered version of myself, but I am. But I I guess definitely, especially with the more political stuff, I think once you start talking about politics, you get to a point where people start possibly thinking that you've never fucked anything up in your entire life because you could talk about these other things that are fucked up instead. You know, and I don't think there's anybody who hasn't fucked anything up in their entire life. But I, yeah, I guess in order to make those points about the political things that you kind of speak about, you have to, does it almost force you to be more transparent yourself and be completely open in that way so that you kind of, imagine if you're open, do you then become, feel a little bit more free to make those points with less repercussions? Or I'm not really sure. I mean, repercussions is, again, it's like a, like I'm really just the things that were like getting to me was just like basic like one-on-one conversation shit like stuff that I would that I dealt with for a while before Bond the music industry started and I was kind of forced into like well if you want to book your own tours if you're gonna have to be able to fucking talk to people and not feel like you're having a nervous breakdown the whole time and it just kind of came back uh, a little bit like being on tour and just kind of like being in the washing machine of what is being in a like professionally touring band for a few years which I've been in a lot of bands but this was like the first chunk of time that it was ever like 
oh, this is like what we do and we're always on tour and it's really fun. Uh, but like it did have this weird side effect that I was having a hard time grappling with. I'm always pretty open in my songs. So I certainly, I feel like actually like talking about uh, political shit that came after I was open about so many things about how, you know, whatever fucking shit I'm going through. I, I feel like I, I was more scared to talk about that stuff just because I didn't want to say something inaccurate or I just, you know, didn't want to sound like a dumbass while talking about like some like pretty horrific shit, you know? Yeah. Just coming back to what you were saying at the start of that as well, about those one-on-one conversations that you were having, is it easier to express yourself honestly in your music or in a conversation. I mean, I think it's I I'm perfectly capable of expressing myself honestly in both. It's more just like not being like terrified of the outcome as much. <laughs> and I think with music, you know, I, I I get a lot of time to look at those lyrics and try and make sure that I am saying the thing that I want to say. You know, luckily over the past few years uh and honestly for for some time like i've i've had uh an audience for the music that i've made with my bands and people have responded positively to the lyrics and have related to them in good ways which makes me feel less alone in those like honest thoughts that might otherwise feel kind of crazy which is a nice thing which is a really like positive byproduct of being in a band and making music it's a real i think maybe that's why i do put so much stock in those conversations that i have with people because it's it's also as important to me um and then take that to like a normal conversation with somebody like at a party you don't fucking really get that you just get like okay i said this thing oh god does everybody hate me you know yeah i get what you mean though i mean with the with the lyrics as well what you're saying there about how you get a little bit more time to refine them than a conversation which tends to be more spontaneous are the lyrics typically just like a stream of consciousness or do you spend quite a lot of time tweaking them and just you know shaping them a little bit i definitely shape them like uh pretty much everything like i just kind of try and think you know i i think a lot of songs get 90 percent there and then i will like spend a little bit of not that much time, but you know, I'll demo the songs and then we'll have a year between when I demo the songs and when we record the record sometimes. Over that amount of time, like the songs, they kind of bloom a little bit and you kind of figure out like, oh, you know what? This is actually what I was trying to say, you know? Yeah, it's kind of sure. different on 2020 Dump though, because that was just like, you know, what was done that was out. <laughs> <laughs> At what point as well do you identify you know, like a a lyrical piece of writing that you've created as a verse or a chorus or a medley or a bridge, at what point do they start to take that shape where they actually occupy a space in that song? Oh, well, I mean, I usually the song is structured before the words come on top of it, you know? So I already know where it's going to be. I think, uh, I, I think I'm just trying to make, write something that makes sense all together. I'm trying like, and every song, is different you know um maybe something that happens sometimes is that like the choruses kind of inform the rest in a way because the chorus might just be like for like for scram for example like they told you wanna go away like i probably had that before i had 
anything else in that song. And then you just, and then that gets to the point where I have to ask myself, like, don't you want to go away? What? Why am I saying that? Why did that like subconsciously pop into my brain? Uh, what was I trying to get at there? You know, that's kind of how it works. And then I don't know a song like State Line, like those verses definitely like that song kind of happened where like, you know, I was writing that song like I wrote that song in a bathroom in Sweden where we were staying at somebody's house somebody's apartment where we're all sleeping on the floor of like the studio apartment where their bed was in the room too and i'm just like trying to like hum something in my phone in the bathroom that is like right next to where everybody is trying to sleep um and then it kind of like bloomed at sound checks and stuff where i just try and find more melodies and try and figure out what it was going to be um but i feel like those verse lyrics came and then like the chorus lyrics were there but i i, I couldn't really figure like, it was just about trying to figure out, like, well, what is, like, how does that make sense? How does any of that make sense? And sometimes it's like, it's cool to leave it vague and cool to be like, well, this kind of paints a picture and that's nice. But sometimes I think you do have to, like, kind of tweak it to make it just like, like, say, like that song, I feel like maybe uh, the second half of the chorus kind of informs the first half of the chorus that was a little bit more instinctual and a little bit more just like subconscious, you know? I think that it just kind of like all, works off of itself you know yeah the song's like almost having a conversation with itself in a way like it's kind of feeding back and forth and the energy's all yeah yeah because because i mean you're do you're that's that's life i think that that's something i i end up coming back to when i talk to people about lyrics because i don't like also like i do not think about this shit i just i i don't think of it in the terms that we're talking about it right now like this is just kind of like almost like CSI damage assessment <laughs> shit. Like, uh, I'm just trying to do a thing. Um, so, but we are all, you know, we're all experiencing all of it at once. Like our subconscious informs our conscious and vice versa, even if those words aren't exactly correct. Consciousness, subconsciousness. Um, <laughs> but uh, like we're, so I think a lot of the writing that I do, uh, I, I do try and like, or I do aim to like be able to like address all of the feelings all at the same time. And I think maybe that just comes from my own personality of really feeling kind of overwhelmed by everything all at once. <laughs> when you're initially performing those songs and you haven't, like you said, the, the lyrics kind of come out and you don't really think about them too much until afterwards when you maybe assess them a little bit. The first kind of times when you're performing them, what are you tapping into then and what are you getting a hold of for the vocal performance? What's kind of guys? I you feel like the, the first time I'm just like, oh, fuck, man. OK, I get those lyrics. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not. It's very weird. Um, there is not like there is not like a ton of songs that like. I could explain it this way. Um, and I don't sound like an asshole, maybe. Um, like, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not thinking about how I feel about the song. I'm just thinking about what the song feels like, if that makes sense. I think what I feel about the song, that job is done once the song has been written and recorded. That's it. And then it's what anybody else takes from the song. So maybe there's a part of me that doesn't because when I'm playing, I feel like I'm in like lights out mode. I like, if you like tap me on the shoulder, I probably be like, well, what the fuck? What the fuck's going on? What's going on? You know what I mean? Like, 
I'm in a different zone when I'm I'm playing uh, most of the time. What like sometimes that zone is I'm really out of breath and oh my god, we're gonna play for 50 more minutes. Oh fuck. Uh, and but a lot of times that zone is just like I can't really tell. I'm just like in a moment, you know. Um, I'm not really thinking about the songs. I think maybe that is because I'm feeding off the energy of whatever other people are taking the songs and trying to take that and give that back, back out, you know, like that seems more naturally to me than to like that. Honestly, that feels more natural to me than playing the song festival song at a festival and thinking about the irony of it. Like when I do that, I'd feel like I'm not thinking about other people. I'm thinking about myself and Jesus fucking Christ. My songs are already so fucking self-centered. Like I think that like at some point I got to hand that shit off, you know, it kind of, it taps into the, I know you're saying that it feels more natural. It, it feels like it would feed into the, how raw the soundscape is as well. And they kind of, how the songs feel yeah maybe i mean again like all this stuff is again like i feel like i'm reverse engineering like huh why do i do that you know it's just all the stuff that feels natural to me like i was talking to my buddy sean from ajj the other day um about how i played like an acoustic live stream in my basement uh and when i was done i have like this uh, my arm is like bleeding it's still all cut up uh, and I had like a fucking huge, like lemon size welt on my arm, <laughs> like Ooh. from just playing so hard. And I just like, I have no chill. Like I have no, like, like that's just the space I go to. Like I, in my head, I'm like, okay, I'll play at a basement. I'm playing in my basement into my phone. I do not need to like play as hard as I can. In fact, it'll sound worse if I play as hard as I can, but I still just like, that's just like the mode I'm always in. I can't like shake out of it i have no chill i'll find it someday i hope you've got to go all or nothing you can't kind of yeah well i mean i think there's a way to go all and still be chill you just go all in on the chill i just haven't fucking figured it out yet <laughs> i'll go all in on the chill <laughs> you were saying that state line was written in a bathroom a little bit earlier on yeah. in sweden as well yeah what, what was the story with the shipping container in slovenia do i talk about that in that song no but that that was just that i was just kind of thinking touring and Odd places. Oh, how do, I, I'm wondering how you know about uh, we. So yeah, well, we played a place in Slovenia, and like the place they set up for us to stay was in a shipping container that they had beds in, uh, and it was during a rave. Like there was a rave on the same like I guess compound. I don't really know. Like it, it, it there was a big collective energy between like the shipping containers that were being used for sleep. Um, and, uh, the venue that we played and this other like big building that they were having a massive rave between whatever is getting lost in translation and like having been on tour for weeks. I don't exactly know what was going on. Um, but it was a, I don't know. I thought it was a cool energy. Um, I wouldn't want to sleep in uh, a shipping container every night in my life where when I have to get up, I have to go to bathrooms at a trailer and there's somebody who's like on E trying to talk to me when it's like <laughs> three o'clock in the morning and I'm trying to take a diarrhea shit on tour. Like that wouldn't be my ideal scenario for permanence. Uh, but like, uh, for one night it was, it was a trip for sure. Like it. Where are the shipping containers? What are they on? They're just like in the parking lot. Fair enough. I've on the ground. Had, I'm unfamiliar with <laughs> Do you know what a shipping container looks like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just Yeah, have... so imagine one of those detached and it's got beds in it. Okay. And there was a fridge that was unplugged. 
and, and and they were sanitizing it before we showed up, which is very nice of them, but makes you wonder like why is this being sanitized? When was this? What kind of time frame we're we talking? This was on the worry tour in Europe with Doe. So that's 2016? 17? 17. 2017. What we were saying earlier as well about how lyrically they kind of the instrumentation is usually there and then the lyrics kind of go on top of it quite naturally. How did that function for no time on the new record? The way you kind of just open the album with this sharp burst of clarity. Was that an instrumental piece? Was that a similar thing? It kind of functioned in that way? No, that just kind of all like showed up in my head uh, as I was very anxious in a parking lot waiting. <laughs> like I had something to do. I was waiting for somebody in a parking lot. I was very, very anxious. I was just thinking about a lot of things. And then I just, and then that was it. Like that's kind of a sign that like I didn't even need to demo. I knew how it went. But I will say that like over time, like the lyrics of that song completely changed as I was like running. Uh, I run a lot and on my runs, uh, sometimes I like, like the line, say for example, like basking in the fruits of my soft complicity. Like I was like, Oh, that's what I want to fucking say. You know what I mean? Like, I think that song went through a lot of verse iterations where like, I was not getting the point across that I was trying to get across, which was basically... I, I don't know. I mean, whatever I take from the song, who fucking cares? That's kind of how I feel about it. But like, I, I already said it. Like, uh, but that was, uh, yeah, with that song. I, and I think opening the record that way, I just like, Post was a chiller. And uh, I wanted to open the record with a, with a loud, fast, fucking in your face thing. I, ju- I was just like, at the time writing the record, just listening to a lot of punk, listening to a lot of like old not old, well, I guess it's old now, but like 90s, like pop punk, like a lot of stuff that I liked when I first started playing music. I was just making a lot of really short pop punk songs on Craig of the Creek. And I think all that kind of informed, like kind of busted out the gates with like a short, fast one. So have you noticed Craig of the Creek and working on that have an impact upon the music you're making? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But in a weird way where like, it's not, I, I guess what I thought when I started working on the show, I would have I would have thought that like the arrangements that I was coming up with would become more dense uh, and more like orchestral just because of the nature of working on composition tele- for television, you know. Um, but weirdly, it just kind of informed me to go to go back to like shit that I liked when I was a kid. I think just because there's so much like fucking positive, crazy kid energy on that show, and I think that like that kind of jolted that back into me a little bit which and that kind of like also informed like the more punk shit on this record it's a trippy show as well and it moves at speed <laughs> yeah it, it's fast <laughs> it's i like i get some of these sometimes and i'm just like holy shit like how is it how am i not the person making the craziest <laughs> thing on this show you know as a result of that does your mind kind of function differently creatively when you're composing for craig as opposed to the music you're making as i mean even your solo stuff for other projects i wouldn't say as a function of that but it functions it's differently because like i have a schedule with craig that i have to keep um so i have to make x amount of music or else i'm fucked you know or else like i have to talk to somebody and tell them like hey episode's not going to be on time because i couldn't do my job um which is not what i'm trying to do because i'd like to keep my job because i like it a lot so there's like there's a thing with craig where it's just like you just i just have to make it um whereas my own songs i could be a little bit lazier with them 
Um, and honestly, I don't, I don't really think that that's a good thing. Uh, so I don't know. Do you compose images? Do you have it kind of playing as you're working on the music? Yeah. So I'm watching the show, uh, basically like as it will be on TV, um, just with no sound effects. And sometimes, uh, some of the like lines haven't been recorded yet by voice actors, but it's like 98% there what I'm writing to. So I'm writing to picture because I got to time it all out too, you know, like I'm, I'm surfing a wave there. Do you ever write, when you're writing music for your solo stuff as well, do you ever write with images in your mind? If you think about songs like B&B, it's quite quite narrative kind of base and you've got those sharp images in each verse yeah i mean that is just more of like remembering experiences uh although yeah i guess so like when when i think when i was i guess writing out the words of that song i was thinking about i was thinking about that shower where i was first starting to think about that song that house that i was walking around in at night looking at everybody's photos like a psycho and like that that place that we stayed at in prague uh, on our day off where we all where like us and doe drank absinthe and like i was like i got fucked up but did i get absinthe fucked up i don't know if this is really absinthe or like my fucking broken ass knees like i like i do visually remember all that stuff now that i'm thinking about it i don't know if i necessarily write to images i don't really like i don't i don't think in that way you know i don't know I, I think I think the most consistent thing with all of it is I guess if I can think of currently and this is like I don't know my writing has changed over time I think currently like a lot of it is trying to like chase back like what was the subconscious thought that like led to whatever that song got like started being called in its nascent stages like what was the first lyric and what does that mean and why am I saying that I think that that's kind of like what I think about most. Uh, I think of like records sometimes in terms of like movies, like, like, uh, worry, for example, I, I wanted to have kind of that feeling like in that movie death proof. I, I don't know if I've, I think I've talked about this before, but in that movie death proof where it's just kind of like, it's really like one huge buildup before like shit fucking goes down. And when shit goes down, it's like, oh shit, it's just like car crashes and fights and it's fucking insane. Like, especially the first time that shit goes down, like I want it to feel, I wanted like bang on the door to feel like that car crash um, in that movie where it's just like, oh shit, it's real. Oh fuck, you know? So I think of it, so like movies inspire me in, in those ways when I'm writing my own songs, yeah. Does that change how you feel about the individual songs as well? Because if you're then putting a little bit of pressure on that one song to be the massive kind of thing that you're building up to. Well, n- n- no, because it's one just song, like, but, you know. well, I, no, because I think that that just all like lends itself to the idea of an album having an arc, you know? Um, so I think it's really helpful to think of things in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it helps you kind of structure it. Yeah, it, it, gives you, it gives you something nice to be like, well, I know a song is one thing, but trying to sustain a feeling over like 40 minutes is, is a whole different thing. So I, I think that like looking at movies and shit for inspiration there uh, makes a lot of sense. Did you have an arc in your mind as well for this new record? Uh, this new record, no, it's, it, this song is just kind of like, I think this new record, it was basically about like what songs speak to each other and what songs sound good next to each other. And like Leave It in the Sun was written after the record I thought was pretty much done being written, which is weird because it ended up being one of my favorite songs. 
because like the A side was like crazy shorter than the B side and that made no sense to me. But like, and I liked the flow of it, but then I was like, I feel like something's missing. So I think like that happens too, where like, I'm just kind of trying to figure out like what, what feels engaging for a long period of time. Uh, this one felt like a like a weird outlier because it ends with like two like very very long songs. Uh, at least for our band, they're four minutes and five <laughs> minutes long. Um, yeah, I don't know. It really like I I don't think I don't ascribe to any like this is how I do this. It's just kind of like what is like how is it forming and trying to like be open to how it's forming and kind of following that path instead of trying to be rigid and know like. I know this works. I know when I worked on Worry, I thought about Death Proof. So I'm going to think about this movie this time. Like, it's not really like that. It's just kind of like whatever pops in and seems like it's a positive force to guide the rest of it, you know? Similar to what we were saying earlier, they all kind of just, in the same way that we were saying the, the individual like, pieces in a song kind of figure out the energy of it. It's the same thing with the record as a whole. The songs kind of just help each other out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, I think, it's, yeah. Definitely. It's it's interesting because it's like it ends up being like puzzle pieces, but I don't know. I think with sequencing, this is kind of my brain just has always liked records that are sequenced well. And I, I think a lot about sequencing when I'm working on records. I feel like I usually end up helping a lot with sequencing on records that I produce and all that stuff. I think that sequencing is like crazy important. Do you ever think about the themes or are they kind of just an organic thing that threads it together? I think that that's more of an organic thing that threads it together. I mean, if any songs are written in a certain amount of time, you know, the like the themes will be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, because like, they're you capturing to a shoot... moment of time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like documenting all the feelings, you know, at a certain point. And I think trying to shoehorn something in there is honestly like a little insulting to an audience. What we talk in time frame wise for the writing of this then? If they were written in a kind of burst, how long? Uh, uh, I mean, they weren't for No Dream. There, this is like a, and then I guess I don't know. Maybe when I say like these are songs that all spoke to each other, like this is kind of a long, a longer collection. Post was very bursty, and Worry was very bursty, but this one was like fucking. So State Line, we're talking about 2017. Oh, okay. uh, so Scram and State Line and maybe in like Nike's all like some of these songs like started getting written in like 2017 like after Post was done um, No Time like before Beauty of Breathing for sure that was like the demo was recorded in 2017 I think like all these were things that I worked on before like after Post was done being written but before Post happened I don't really ever stop writing all that much uh, I try and keep it going because I feel like once I stop I'm fucked Ohio Turnpike I started writing in like 2016 maybe 2015 like these are songs a lot of these songs are just ones that grew over a long period of time so I guess to answer your question like it's it like I, I could say that like the bulk of this was like a good chunk of this was written in 2018 um, in that year off from tour and especially like demoed in that period of time um and like there were some shows i was playing acoustic around the time of post too and a lot of these songs like happened like honeymoon ashtray was a song i was playing a lot acoustic uh old crap i was playing acoustic there's one other one probably scram i was playing acoustic and just kind of getting into it but like i don't 
I, I think there is always like a chunk of time when a bunch of songs are being written. Um, but like, there's also ones that have been hanging out for a while that need to find their home and they, and a few of them always, and like a little bit of this makes it onto every record and a little bit of that makes it onto every record, you know? Do songs ever end up homeless or do they always find a way? The songs end up homeless. Sometimes parts end up in different songs, but sometimes that ends up cool. Like the chorus, like the, hey, 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 hey. like that was in a different song uh, that I thought was going to be on Worry. And then like after listening to it, I was like, oh, these chords are Lithium. This is Lithium by Nirvana or, or, it, was, or it was Drain You. Uh, and I was like, fuck, uh, okay. And I was also like, the song wasn't that great. Um, but then when I was like trying to figure out where, like when I was working on festival song, cause I feel like I had the verse of that song and I felt like the chorus of that song was like fine and I didn't really like it. And I was like, I, I want to amp this up. I was like, oh shit, well I have that thing that would actually go really good here. So sometimes it works out like that. And then sometimes there's just songs that like don't end up being anything. And that's weird, but like they might pop up every now and then like Ohio Turnpike. And then when they pop up, they end up being like way better than the original idea that you had. All, all this useless energy is kind of like that too. Um, where that was like, I think that was written in 2014, but then like it ended up on post because that's when it like bloomed, you know? Does stuff ever make its way into the show as well? The Craig of the Creek? Well, things that were maybe kind of floating around as song ideas work their way into the score for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but also a lot, of, a lot of Craig is just so immediate and it's just like, what is the melody I could think of now? Like they, they all work their way in and out of stuff, uh, if that makes sense. So like, they're, like if you watch season three of Craig of the Creek, you will hear like, some melodies and some riffs that ended up on 2020 dump. And then quite literally like two of the closing credits songs in that show ended up being full songs. And those are situations where like I'm writing something that's like 10 seconds long. And then accidentally I'm like, this is a fucking song. Like I don't want this to not be a song just because the original context of it was supposed to be short. It doesn't really happen in the way where like I'm working on a song and I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't have an idea for this part. I better put state line in there. I don't know. I don't know if that kills the song. I don't know if I'm allowed to like have that be a song afterwards, like legally. I don't know what Cartoon Network owns or what I own, and I kind of feel like the safest thing to do is keep all that shit really low-key and just have it kind of like, you know, be the other way. Do you find that an idea originally comes from something like a 10-second, like it's in the you know, closing credits, but does it still maintain that same bite? Then when you kind of stretch out into a fully formed song? Uh, well, well, the two that I could think of, which are on 2020 Dump, like I think Hang in the Heat did. I think that that's cool. Like that song, I just kind of wish that could have just been a full song. And weirdly, Illegal Fireworks and, head, and Hiding Bottles in the Sand. Like I feel like there was still, I, I love the way that that turned out. I'm really happy with that song. I've been thinking about that song for years and I'm happy I finally found a context on 2020 dump that it made sense in and that it seemed like an okay place to put it out where it didn't seem like, Hey, guess what? I'm putting out the closing credit song on my own. It has all these fucking different lyrics. Like, I don't want to be a jerk, you know, but I, I still feel like there's some like weird magic in that first, actually both of them. Like there's some weird magic in the first take of everything and capturing the creation of it that I don't think you really get back. I don't think it's a matter of like 
stretching something from 10 seconds to three minutes because that's not what I'm doing. Like, it is a song at that point. Like, the like the 12 second end credits version of it is that is just 12 is just a 12 second excerpt of a song that I hadn't recorded yet, if that makes sense. But there is something in the performance that I think is just like it's impossible to capture like what your initial idea is again if you're trying to recapture it. It's interesting what you were saying there as well about fireworks and how you've been kind of wanting to get that out for a little yeah. while and then found that place for it on 2020 dump. Do you sometimes need context like that to finish a song? And did it did that change yeah. quite dramatically when you you found that place for it? Um the song didn't change dramatically uh, but I think you definitely need context for a song. I think that that's I think that that's again why Ohio Turnpike was sitting around for so long because that song didn't make sense. It was it wasn't a song yet on Worry, and it didn't make sense on Post. Um, but it made sense in this record, and and it kind of was able to like find itself in the context of this record. You know what I mean? I think the context I'm speaking more about with Fireworks is that like a uh, kind of a low key low pressure thing where like i don't know i don't have to i i I don't know i i think that could have ended up on an i think that could have ended up the album closer on whatever the next record is but i like i was thinking about it a lot now during this like all the songs that ended up on 2020 dump like are part of a big pile of songs that just like right now these songs like ended up fully formed and that's how they turned out and uh so that one just ended up being fully formed now. I think maybe it was part, like, I got an eight-track tape machine, which I'm pretty stoked about, and that kind of encouraged me to finish writing lyrics for it, you know, is just playing into it and seeing how it sounded. And then once that was done, I was like, oh, shit, song's done, sick, you know? When did you get that tape machine? Uh, I got it right before lockdown. Have you seen it have quite a big impact upon what you've been crafting since? No! Yeah, yes. I, I've been I've mastered everything on 2020 dump to the tape machine, which is not its intended purpose, but just so I could get a little bit more used to tape. Um and I tracked a song called Old Cold on it, which I think turned out okay. I still like I'm just so comfortable in Pro Tools that I have a hard time shifting off of it. But like a lot of gear that I've gotten that I haven't really understood when I've gotten it, like I I will I do very, 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 very slowly like figure out its place in my life and in my music like we had a like bomb the music industry i was on tour and cork has this keyboard called the micro sampler where you could put samples in and play them on a keyboard and we had no use for it but i bought it on tour with band money because i was like we're gonna use this someday i bet that there's a way to use it and i got yelled at by some band members because it never got used and it didn't ever get used in bomb but now it's a keyboard we use in our band all the time and like it's my keyboard and I wouldn't be able to have like a good Wurlitzer, a good Hammond, not Hammond, a good uh, fucking Mellotron, any of those sounds or like my little like nine out of 10, like glitch out guitar shit. Like all that's through that keyboard. It just like took, it takes me like years sometimes to figure out how to like fully understand what a piece of cool shit is how i will use it you know yeah i mean it's kind of the same with what we were just saying about songs as well sometimes they take a few years to reveal where they should sit and what their kind of purpose should be in your broader catalog and the record that should go on yeah and i and and i think that like i think that allowing that amount of patience is a byproduct of like also being very impulsive and writing a lot and putting out music at a fast clip 
like it puts it takes a little bit less pressure off of like oh shit i gotta write 12 songs like you know i mean when did you kind of start doing that and putting out so much stuff and being so prolific you've kind of been like that since the the get-go really right yeah i think i i think after asob like asob worked our my first band we worked on a record called three cheers for disappointment for a really long time um and a lot of that was like we didn't really know what a band was supposed to do like we were we were pretty we did pretty well locally but that doesn't mean you're living and we did okay touring and when we would play when we would have opportunities to play to a lot of people like we did really good um and and people responded well and but we like were trying to get signed to a label because we didn't really know how to take a next step ourselves uh we didn't really know it was possible and it wasn't really as possible back then because digital shit was like kind of just kicking off And so what that translated to was that we would buy a bunch of merch and try and sell it on tour uh, because we'd always be touring. And that was how we were trying to reach more people. And we would never, and we would always just kind of be in merch debt because we didn't really have a web store that we were selling things through. And then we had no money to record a record. So I was just like sitting on the idea of this record for like four years and not to mention we recorded it two times and it sounded bad like it was bad like we did like we had two false we had like a demo version of the record where we just played it live that one was actually kind of sick um but it's not really the record we did a version with our friend aj and purchase and like it wasn't good like we didn't play it good we didn't get the vibe it was just completely wrong we scrapped it anyway when that band when I when that band was done, when I was like, I want to put out music for free and I don't want to fucking worry about like having to pay to record and have to worry about like, oh, we can't make a record, like we have to keep touring on this bullshit that I don't like. Um, when I got out of that band, I just I wrote and recorded those first two Bond the Music Industry records and a whole bunch of other songs within a year, because I was like, Oh shit, I could just record on my own. Let's go. And I've kind of just stayed in that mentality since. Like I've never had a, a reason to shift outside of that, you know? Which I think uh, at the time probably seemed like a weird thing, but I think I maybe accidentally developed a skill that like allows me to write music quickly for the cartoon. Yeah, you recorded the first bomb the music industry songs not through like your inbuilt computer uh, microphone as well. Uh, I recorded "Sweet Home Canada" that way, yeah, and then I got <laughs> an M box, uh, and I recorded a lot of that stuff through. The Mbox uh, and Pro Tools, but with like a bunch of cracked plugins that like if you listen to those records, you could hear like a psh, psh, psh every now and then. Or not cracked, just like trial plugins that the trial ran out. But I was like, okay, so what? The trial ran out? That just means it makes a noise every now and then? I don't care. And that, that was it. So like that's all over those records. Uh, it's insane. But again, I I didn't really feel like I was documenting that stuff for anybody other than myself and a couple of people who would like, maybe I thought, oh, maybe they're ASOB fans and they'll find out about Bond the Music Industry through like the ASOB message board, you know? It's part of the charm of it though as well, isn't it? It's kind yeah, of like I, what we're saying about it being so raw now still. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm way down with that vibe. I don't think I would do it now, uh, but that's mostly just because it would be dishonest, you know? Like, that was very honest into that moment, and I think that that is uh, as a special thing. I think any time where you could capture, like, the creation of it, I think that's a, that's a very cool little ingredient to add into there, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You mentioned, you kind of briefly mentioned March a little bit back as well, and the way that, you know, you kind of were trying to use it initially to get 
funds for the band. When it comes to the March now, you released a coloring book for the last record? Yeah. What's all, what's kind of all in there? Is that the cover and stuff or what, what's kind of in that book? Oh, our friend, uh, Gail just, uh, I was like, he's a really good cartoonist and illustrator. Uh, he's our buddy from San Jose, Gilbert Armandaris, uh, Armandaris is, uh, all of, uh, avoid, I think if you look at the coloring book thing, you could see this isn't, this isn't transcribed. This is a podcast. You're listening to this. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I said his name very wrong, and I'm sorry, Gil, if you're listening <laughs> to this. Uh, anyway, uh, our friend Gil, who is awesome, uh, I hit him up. I was like, hey, man, do you want to make a coloring book for our record? Like just uh, an image per each song. And I sent over, and we kind of talked about references, and I was talking a little bit about like kind of like psychedelic stuff, but also like... Uh, Tezuka, who is like a famous like Japanese cartoonist, and just kind of like sent over some images and just like vibes that I liked, and then he kept sending this shit back that was like mind blowing and awesome. Um, so it's just thirteen images that are loosely based on the songs, but also they're kind of just riding a vibe. It's really cool. I I I really I think the coloring book is awesome. You used to work at a graphic design place that was doing coloring books as well, right? I did work at a graphic design place doing coloring books. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting that you know that. I I scanned in things that other people drew and made made sure they were clean. It wasn't like the most particularly creative job, but uh I it allowed me time to do that with one hand and book tours under my desk on my phone with the other hand (laughs) (laughs) what was the weirdest thing you had to scan in oh certainly the weirdest things i had to scan in were like photography of naked kids because it was like form photography you know i guess like for people to draw and it's just like like so like a series of images and it i was like this is weird this is fucked up i don't like this yeah, kids though. I I wasn't. I don't know if that would be. I don't understand how they were still making this stuff. What year are we talking here? I'm talking like 2006. That's oh yeah yeah. That's weird. It's fucked up. That was the weirdest things that I had to do. Um, but also I don't know if you are a. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and also, I, I'm ta- I, uh, to make this a, a little bit less crazy sounding, I'm not talking about like an 11 year old kid. I'm talking like infant to like around that. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was fucking weird. That so shit was weird. weird. Or like naked adults jumping. <laughs> like, there's just a lot of nudity. <laughs> yeah, when you were. Um... When you were working for Rockstar as well, was that graphic design too? Or what were you up to there? No, when I was working for Rockstar, I was just like a PA. It was also like pretty brief. Like I was mostly just like driving a truck around, like dropping Red Dead Redemption shit off for Comic-Con, that kind of thing. Uh, but there was a point where uh, like there's a video game called Midnight Dub 3 uh, or Midnight something Racers 3 Dub Edition. Midnight, what is it? Fuck. Uh, it's a racing <laughs> video game. Um, anyway, uh, so you can't, there's like no code to just unlock all the cars. And they were doing all these demos. So me and uh, my friends, Diego and James, we had to just sit 
and play this game and beat it a bunch of times. It just unlock all these cars as fast as we could. Uh, and that was one of the weirdest jobs I had. And I like went straight from that to tour and I was driving the van crazy that night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so did you say you wrote most of this in 2018 when you weren't touring as much? Kind of, was that kind of a period similar to now in terms of being stuck in the one place? Or? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I was still traveling, though. Like, I was coming out to L.A. to work on the musical. I did an Antarctica Vespucci tour. We went to Japan. No. No? No. We went to Hawaii with Bruce Lee Band. Uh, like, we did some... I, I did, like, some little stuff, but it was a lot of low-pressure stuff you know yeah you've been to japan with the bruce lee band though yeah 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 it, what, wait, not this time but we've been to japan and korea three times it that is like a fucking lucky lucky thing in my life is that where you got the tattoo i got that in korea yeah my friend trash did it it's one of her first tattoos uh but it's the best ta- it's the best done tattoo i think i have and it's awesome trash rules is that an octopus or what was it again oh it's a it's a takoyaki octopus uh <laughs> on a surfboard saying i i'm gonna pronounce it wrong but like shiba zhang which is like which is like fuck yeah uh or like fucking cool in korean uh because that was a tour where we went to hawaii and japan and korea and i wanted to get all of that in a tattoo and trash drew it and it's awesome how are you how are you finding then being off tour at the moment uh, I don't like it. I want to play shows. I just put out a record I'm excited about. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it sucks. It kind of it feels like in a weird sort of way. It almost ties into the beauty of breathing a little bit on the new record. This kind of idea of a frustration that is really quite big, and you just get, there doesn't seem to be. It's not something that can be solved simply. It's kind of you could kind of apply that song to the feelings you're having now, maybe in a weird sort of way. Yeah, I again, I think it's stuff that other people are doing that I think is cool. I don't think I've ever noticed more than on this record that like uh, people can take what they want from songs, which is a really cool thing. Because obviously, I was not writing about being in a pandemic at all on that record. I think I've already, I've already told you like I was writing about my own little fucking. My own little precious existential crisis bullshit I was going through. It's a thing where I'm like, I, I see how people are making the connections. I don't make the connection, but, <laughs> are, but like, more power to you. Make that connection. The song's not about me, you know? Did that, you know, we've spoken a little bit about the kind of, like we're saying, you're saying, that, you know, the surroundings, the existential things that were kind of flowing through your mind at the time of writing this. Did they, kind of figure themselves out or is that still a conversation you're having with yourself uh you know i i don't know i'm not around people anymore i haven't i haven't road tested it yet <laughs> we'll see <laughs> we'll see if like when i go on tour when i see a crowd i get uh terrifyingly anxious and run away or we'll see if i'm just like hey what's up are you quite enjoying getting a little bit of space back from people i guess it's nice to start how long have you been kind of in lockdown or not lockdown but March. It's been almost a year. No, I don't like it. I want to see people 100%. I miss seeing people. Uh, There is a niceness to it, like for a second there, but you know, I like peeing peeing people. I like seeing people, you know? (laughs) Uh, I like my friends and I like meeting people at shows. I think uh, I just have anxiety that I need to get over. And honestly, most of the people who I meet at our shows fucking understand that and they're very cool about it. So it's like, 
not really, you know. How does not seeing people affect your creativity and kind of being not isolated? It's weird. You know. Oh, just just not doing anything sometimes feels like there's less to write about in a lot of ways. I think it also encourages me to think of things a little bit more abstractly, uh, which will be a cool vibe because that's not really something that I do all that much. I'm usually pretty specific about shit. So, you know, that'd be a cool way to stretch it. I guess whenever we put ourselves in a new scenario, and this is maybe quite a special case, but at other times in life, it does force us to look at things in a slightly different way. Do you remember the first or the last time before this pandemic where your kind of perspective shifted quite significantly because of things that were going on? I mean, yeah, moving to Los Angeles. Like, is, is that what you mean? Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. do you mean, do you mean like a political of... thing or, or I, just whatever? No, yeah, I was just meaning in life, really, to be honest. No, moving to LA, man. Yeah. Like, I, like, I don't, I don't, I fucking don't live here. I've, I'm from New York, you know? Like, I, I've lived in New York for basically forever. Um, so moving somewhere else is, is a definite, like moving across the country is a huge perspective shift. I don't know if you've lived in the same place for forever or if you've moved around, but I, I moved once where me and Christine moved to Athens, Georgia, and I found in moving there and a little bit in moving back to New York, you kind of just get to re-approach your own identity and be a little bit more of a person that you would want to be. I, I guess I was like kind of excited to do that out here, but I feel like I never really got the chance. And now I'm just a weird psycho loner who's always in the work chat uh, <laughs> or like it or I don't even or like putting up weird like putting up weird holiday decorations where we have like our our like skull ghost from Halloween with a Santa hat on it. Like, I don't know. I feel like everybody <laughs> just thinks I'm a psycho. <laughs> If you, it's interesting what you're saying though. I completely get what you mean about when you go to a new place and you kind of consciously change yourself a little bit or try and come across in a slightly different way. Do you feel you actually change as a result of that though, or is it more just a surface level thing? I think it's more of a way to reapproach like how you're feeling right now. You know what I mean? To be able to like grow in a way where like the the baggage of who you were doesn't really have to hold you down the same way. It, I think it would be good if you, if it was easier, just, I, or I think just like a goal is to just do that anyway in life, just be the person who you are in that moment. You know what I mean? So, but I think moving uh, helps that because you're just, you have a new environment to kind of like push you along there, you know? Can you kind of do that musically in a way as well? Like if you change the soundscape up for a new record? I think so. I mean, I, I hope so. I'm always, I, the, I, the thing I'm trying to do mostly whenever I'm working on records is just kind of challenging myself to do a new thing. You know, I'm trying to challenge myself lyrically. I'm trying to challenge myself musically. I don't know if it's ever really in ways that seem apparent to someone who's listening to it, but like, I know the ways that I'm challenging myself on records, you know? I'm, I'm interested when you packed everything up from New York to go to uh, LA, did you find yourself going through quite a lot of memories, having to like kind of sort through everything? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was it was sad and it was weird, uh, but that's how moving is. Uh, I I found myself something that was fun was just I guess when I was cleaning out my studio at the old apartment, uh, just kind of coming across little artifacts from tour, whether it be set lists or flyers or like notes that were like taped to the merch table just like little shit like that uh like that stuff was really nice and fun to come across uh 
I got we got rid of all of our DVDs, and I think that was a foolish mistake. I got rid of so much. I think that was like one of the weirdest things. Was just like, all right, we're moving. We got to get rid of all this shit, and we donated like a ton of shit. It felt good, but it was certain to like, you know, rid yourself of that physical baggage and lighten your load. Uh, that felt good, but also, you know, there's there's some bittersweetness to it for sure. Yeah, it can be quite liberating to kind of feel like you're getting rid of possessions and getting rid of things that maybe you feel a little bit attached to. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the same musically? Is that a kind of similar feeling if you take something out of a mix? If you're like mixing a song and you take an element out of it, does it feel liberating in a similar way? Dude, I feel like I never take an element out of it. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know, maybe. Just add more shit in. Yeah, well, I I mean, I I think... uh, I don't know. I, I think a lot about the song before it starts getting tracked and like how it will be arranged and stuff. And yeah, maybe I do just kind of pile more on. I feel like I don't know how to, I don't know how to make a single instrument sound all that good tonally or performance wise, but I could, I know how to make 20 instruments sound confusing. So that's something. So is the song like fully, pretty much, is the producing kind of the last step? Is the song mapped out in your mind or demo wise before you kind of, commit it fully to tape yeah yeah for sure and i i think the last step is just like the four of us getting in a room or the five of us getting in a room for like four or five days before recording and just playing through it a lot playing through it quietly seeing what like beats and accents line up i think that's kind of the final step is like playing through it as a band seeing where there's space for mike to do cool shit seeing where there's space for anybody to find what they would like to do and just find the spots to make sure that we're like all hitting things at the same time so that it sounds like powerful and not jumbly i mean when we look at this new record as well and when you're writing there's a lot of fear and worry when it kind of comes to the themes of it so you're kind of channeling that negative energy and emotions to a certain extent into it is there a point for you when it switches to positive energy and becomes a different kind of feeling as a result of putting it into music and expressing it in that way? I mean, I'm working on it uh, as far as like my mindset goes. You know, I'm working on just trying to be a less negative person. It's hard for me. Um, I am a, I'm a half Jew from Long Island. It's going to be very hard. And half Catholic, so it's going to be very hard for me to not be like a negative, fear, guilt-ridden person all the time. Uh, just because of how I was raised, the environment I was raised in. Uh, so I think that is just very important to me about music, which is why I think I have not really been able to give it up as I've gotten older, is I think it's a really positive outlet for a lot of that negative energy. I think it's a productive and creative place for it to go. I think I'm really lucky to have found that uh, and to be able to do that. I, I guess, yeah, it turns positive once it becomes a song to me, once you're kind of celebrating what's fucked up or or like celebrating that you're not alone and feeling that something is fucked up. Um, I think that that's a good feeling. Or not a good feeling, but that's something. That's something positive. It's something productive, if not positive. I think there is definitely like glimmers of positivity on No Dream. Like I, I think that Honeymoon Ashtray is a very positive song to me. I've, heard, I've read what people think about it. I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe people don't think it's positive, but to me, that's a very positive song. That's a song that's saying like all this shit. You're like these, like the littlest thing that's making you upset. It doesn't matter. 
It, like, it's okay. It's okay to be upset, but also it doesn't matter. And that's okay too, you know? I think that there are little glimmers like that. I, I, I feel like once I'm, when, when I'm writing a song, I'm trying to find places to make it not feel just like 100% negative vibes a lot of the time. Um, and sometimes that's like, you know, you through humor. Like, I don't think I'm the only person out there who like sometimes tells jokes in order to deal with shit or just like, you know what I mean? Um, but then like also sometimes it's in those little moments. And I think that in that, I'm probably trying to just like get myself to also snap out of that shit, you know? Yeah, for sure. As you're working through, as you get older, you know, and you're working through more shit in your music and more, you know, difficult feelings. Does the role that music plays in your life as a force change and evolve in a way? Um, I, you know, I've always done it this way. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that really, that, that doesn't have as much to do with it uh, as like, sure, maybe, but like, I'd say the context of listening to music is the thing that changes things more. Like the difference between listening to music while running versus listening to music while walking around a city or sitting on your couch or driving in a car or driving in a van or laying in a bed at night. Like I think, or like sitting at a desk. Like I think that the context of all that changes your, like where you're listening to more, where I'm listening to most of my music um, is informs that I think more than any of that other shit because that other shit is just like a slow work in process in progress where like i don't know music kind of just has always helped guide me through it and it could be any kind of music you know deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.